or the fall of the home. Let's take our Bibles and go to Genesis chapter 1. Would you turn there with me to Genesis chapter 1? We're going to begin there in verse 26. And God said, Let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. And the image of God created he him, notice, male and female. Created he them. I think it's interesting that we're living in a day where there was a lady being interviewed and she said there are over 200 different genders. And uh, so the reporter said, well, name a few of them for me. And she wouldn't. But there are two that we know of. They were created by God. Male, that's a man. And a female, that's a woman. In this deep theological truth. Don't forget that. Two genders, male and female. Watch this now, verse 28. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. God said, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth and every tree, and in which is the fruit of the tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat. And to every beast of the earth and to every fowl of the air and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was what? Very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Go with me now to chapter 2. Thus the heaven and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had made. And notice this, and he what? He rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. You'll notice that in the Old Testament it was the Sabbath. It was Saturday after the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He called it the first day of the week, and that is the day which we call the Lord's Day. It's Sunday. It's in commemoration of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we meet on Sunday. Now, we're not going to fight with those that meet on Saturday. In fact, the New Testament church kind of met almost every day. You know, we're going to pull that off this week for at least part of the week. Amen? And we're going to meet and we're going to, we're going to, we're going to deal with the subject of the family. And here we find the rise of the family. God created it. I want you to write this down. Number one, write down the words, the perfect plan. Creation, man being created in the image of God after the likeness of God, having dominion, blessing them. He said, be fruitful and multiply. 
and replenish the earth. And what he created was very good. I want to tell you, I, I wasn't complete until I got married. She completed me. The Bible says two are better than one. If two shall agree as touching anything, it shall be done. Amen. And I want to tell you, my dearest friend, other than the Lord Jesus Christ is Anne-Marie. She's, she's my helpmeet. She's the one that has stuck with me now for 40 years. Think about that. She gave up her life for mine. I, I can't get over that. It's hard for me to fathom that someone could say, you know what, whatever the Lord wants you to do, that's what I want to do. And for 23 years, I pastored the Ansville Baptist Church in Peekskill, New York. God gave us two children, Joshua and Rebecca. They're both living for the Lord. We have five children in heaven because of miscarriages. One, two of the, two of the five were twins, and uh, we know the devil didn't get them. Right. Amen. And what a blessing it is that God has been so good to us. And then, of course, we've been following the Lord uh, for 19 years in full-time evangelism. And to God be all the glory. You know, if there's anything that you can brag about, God's connected to it. Remember that. There are a lot of people that brag about a lot of things, but God's not connected to it. Here we find that the perfect plan of God was executed. And it was put into place, not only for Adam and Eve, but for Dan and Ann. And for you that are here this evening, God's perfect plan. Then I want you to notice, number two, we see the perfect place. Go with me now to chapter 2. Here we find the Garden of Eden, the perfect place. In chapter 2, beginning in verse 15, follow we now. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou shalt eat thereof, Thou shalt surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam and to see what he would call them and whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. Being perfect, of course, he could remember their names. And Adam made, gave names to all the cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found an helpmeet for him. And the Lord God caused a great sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. 
And Adam said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. I want you to notice here we find the perfect place. There's no fall of man at this point. Adam and Eve are living in a beautiful place, a perfect place, a place without sin. They are taking care of the garden. They are enjoying the animals. They're having a wonderful time together. And I must say to you that when God created woman, he took woman from man close to the heart, a rib. I think that every wife ought to be close to the heart of the man. Amen. I think that your greatest ministry is the ministry of taking care of your wife, taking care of your children, providing for them not only a physical existence, but a spiritual heritage. There's a huge difference there. The world looks on what can I possess? And God is looking for who he can possess. There's a big difference. You've heard the little phrase, the person that dies with the most toys is the one that wins. You've heard that. Usually it, with the guy that dies with the most toys usually leaves somebody else in debt. <laughs> Isn't that sad? No, let me tell you something. God never intended for us to live only for possessions. When you're constantly wanting to keep up with the neighbors, if, when you're always wanting to, uh, to get ahead and to have this and have that, things that maybe it took your parents years to get, now you want them, and you're just young, you've got your whole life ahead of you, and you're wanting all these things. They say the average home in America is $35,000 in debt. And often that does not include a mortgage. Why? Because we live above our means. Correct? If your outgo exceeds your income, it will be your downfall. And many marriages have been broken most marriages are broken for two reasons, a lack of communication and financial problems. And those two things ought never to be an issue in the Christian home. Thank you. May God help us to have homes that glorify the Lord. And I'm not down on anybody who's ever been through a divorce I'm not down on anybody that is having to raise their children alone. I'm simply saying to you that God has given a perfect plan. But the first two, Adam and Eve, blew it. Just like we do sometimes. Right? Of course. You see, the temptation is always there to take something that's perfect and ruin it. The nature of man in the fall 
brought about a desire to live according to his own dictates instead of to those dictates that God has given founded in his word. You are going to live one of two ways. One of two ways. You're either going to live by your own philosophy of life. Philosophy is what man thinks. Or you're going to live according to your theology. Okay? That's what God thinks. How, how many of you think that God is smarter than you are? Would you slip your hand up? Amen. If God is smarter than you are, why wouldn't you go to him and get his approval on everything you do? And if he doesn't approve of it, you're not doing it. Is that too simple for us? That's easy as apple pie and ice cream. Amen. That we might come to that place in our lives where we realize it's not what I want, but it's what God desires for me. God always gives his best to those that leave the choice with him. That's right. If you leave your choices with God, I will not make any decisions, but what first I confront God, find out what God's word says, and I will do it if God says to do it, and I won't do it if God says not to do it. These people that parade around and say, well, the Bible's a bunch of don'ts. They're basically dumb. Because God will keep you from hurting yourself. Like a mother, for instance. A mother's cooking, and she says, now, Johnny, you keep your hands away from the burners. And, of course, Johnny, with that little sinful nature that he's got, he's got to go up there and check that out. So he looks at it, doesn't look like it would hurt. But, oh, it's amazing when he touches it. Oh, he starts crying. Was he warned? Yes. But he was not smart enough to stay away from it. He had to learn from his mistake. How many of you have ever learned from your mistakes? You know what's smarter than that? Learning from somebody else's. <laughs> it's easier. It's not as painful. Uh, and, and we're going to make our own mistakes, but you, could, you, you can't even imagine how smart you could be if you just analyzed everybody's life through God's Word and determined if they're doing that and I see it's, going, it's causing them to go in the wrong direction, I'm not going to do that. And you can learn from somebody else's tragedy. How many of you know of some tragedies people have made Raise your hand. How many of you know of some families right now that have made some bad decisions? Oh, we can learn from those that make bad decisions. But why is it we're so dumb sometimes that we do exactly the things that they do? Something's wrong. It's our will has been replaced when we make the right decision with God's will. When we negate God's will, we will make mistakes, and all the hurt will be serious. You'll notice here that in this perfect garden, we see something happens that is very sad. Number three, I want you to write this down. The pestilent plot. There's a pestilent plot. That word pestilent has the meaning of destruction to life. Pestilence is when 
A farmer experiences something that comes in and devours the crop and destroys the crop. A pest. And Satan is the ultimate pest in the life of a believer. Satan is always establishing a plot to take you down. He wants to destroy your home. Did you know that? Christian homes don't happen by accident. Christian homes, true biblical Christian homes, thrive on purpose. But Christian homes that are not functioning as God would want them to function, Satan knows where your weaknesses are. He doesn't know as much about you as God knows about you, but I can tell you one thing. He knows where your weaknesses are. And let me let you in on a little secret. All of us have weaknesses. The Bible says we're tempted when we're drawn away of our own lust and enticed. I can't blame any of my sin on my wife. I can't blame my sin on anybody but myself. This pestilent plot against your marriage is going to come. And we see it here in chapter 3. Notice the plot that's established in verse 1 when the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. You don't need to listen to what God said. For God, hath, for God doth know that in the day that ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be gods. You'll be gods. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, isn't it something? They had only known good up until this point. So in a sense, what the devil was saying was, you'll be able to know good and evil. They didn't know evil before. So Satan, in a sense, was right. If you disobey God, you're going to be able to know the difference between good and evil. That's how slick Satan is. And he schemed a plot, a pestilent plot, to destroy mankind. The Bible says in John 10, 10, the thief cometh not but to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's what Satan's job is. Believe me, you are his target. I don't care how long you've been in church. I don't care how young you are. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how long you've been saved and a member of this church. Satan's got you as a target. And he's going to take you out if you let him. You say, I won't let him. Peter said that. Though all men should be offended of thee, I will never be offended of thee. And it wasn't long after that he denied the Lord. 
He cursed and he swore, saying, I know not this Jesus. You're no stronger than Peter. None of us are. We're weaklings without the power of God in our lives. We need the Lord's power. And so Eve partook, you know the story. Notice with me. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant unto the eye, how many people have gotten into sin because of the lust of the eye? And the tree was desired of, to make one wise. Oh, I could, be, I could be wise. I could know good from evil. Wow, if I partake of this. And did eat and gave also to her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Sin, listen closely, sin will cause a person, a family, to hide themselves from the Lord. Oh, so-and-so's not coming to church anymore. What happened? Well, they're not going anywhere anymore. Oh, really? What happened? Well, they got into some things they shouldn't have gotten into, and they see, can't seem to get out of it, and they always feel guilty when they go to church, so they thought it'd be better not to go to church. You realize how many people are like that? Or they may still go to church, but they're, they're not with it. They're not active. They're not serving. They're not praying. They're not saying amen. They're not... Uh, trying to help out and make a difference for the cause of Jesus Christ. They're just sitting and soaking and souring because they have sin in their lives they're not willing to get rid of. I think all of us have that come upon us at times, don't we? I have everything to do to take care of myself. <laughs> Let alone try to straighten out a church. I can't do it. Did you know some people won't even let God do it? How many of you ever heard this statement? Nobody's going to tell me what to do. You ever hear that statement? Now, you may have not said it with that loud and that much gusto, but you kind of said, oh, no one's going to tell me what to do. Add to that, okay? Add to that, not even God. Because what happens is when we can't take authority when we're not willing to take God's authority in our life or we're not willing to take the authority that God has placed over us, then really what we're saying is, God, I don't care what you think either. And I think one of the biggest problems we face today among people that call themselves Christians is they have absolutely no fear of God. When you don't fear God, you're headed for serious trouble. And many people have had to hit the bottom. They've had to, I, I got to tell you this. There was a man in church where I was preaching two weeks ago in Texas. Grew up in a Christian home. His brother is in a quartet and sings for the Lord, is very faithful and active in the work of God. He even donated to our van when I, that happened. He has a brother that went the opposite direction. 
He's totally messed up from drugs. He's on disability. He can't work. Lives in a camper trailer out behind his mother and father's house. He was in the meeting the last night I preached. He's come back to the Lord, but he's, his mind has become so messed up because of drugs that it's very difficult for him to just function. But he was in that service, and he, he was praising the Lord during the song service and appreciated the message, and God's really dealing with him. And I told him, I said, I want to tell you something. God wants to use you to help people so that they don't make the same mistake you made. Why do we have to go out to skid row to find out it's the wrong way? How ridiculous is that? And I've seen Christian families go to the gutter because they thought they were smarter than God. And God had to bring them down and ultimately because of Satan's influence and them willing to do what Satan said instead of what God said, there they are. Mm -hmm. Some never, never, never recover. Some never make it. And what a sad thing that is to see that happen. I'm saying to you that there is a pestilent plot to destroy our lives, to destroy this church, to destroy Christianity. Did you know there's an attack on Christianity in our own country? People are trying to do away with in God we trust. Some would like to have Sharia law in our country. That means that if you don't if you don't convert to, to the Muslim religion, you'll be killed. How many people would be willing to surrender instead of die? If our nation doesn't get back to God, we're going to lose our nation. You say, oh, I don't see that happening. Well, let's talk about Rome. Let's talk about Babylon. Let's talk about the Medo-Persian Empire. Let's talk about the Grecian Empire. They all fell because they got away from God. And I'll tell you what, we as Christian families can't take any shortcuts. We can't do anything according to our own will. We must seek the holy will of our God and be willing to not accept a pestilent plot against us. Number four, write this down. The perpetual pushing. The perpetual pushing. Go with me to Romans chapter 1. Not only does Satan have a plot against those that, that are Christians, but I want, you to sh I want to show you what Paul told the church at Rome. That there's a perpetual pushing on your life to get you to do wrong. It's called sinful nature. It's called peer pressure. How could a child go, go live in a Christian home for 18 years, 17 years, 16 years, live in a Christian home, go to a good church like this, and then go off to college and within, within six months lose their faith? 85% of high school graduates don't go back to church. There's a perpetual or a constant 
pushing to push you to defeat. It's a constant pressure, and we're going to see it found here in Romans chapter 1. I want you to look with me there quickly. Romans chapter 1, verse 21. Because that, when they knew God, okay, let's say people knew who God was, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. You know, all sin has an imagination with it. Satan works through the mind. Yeah. The Bible said one of the things that God hates was people that, that create evil imaginations, that have evil imaginations. Sin, we've heard the phrase, sin will take you farther than you want to go, cost you more than you want to pay, keep you longer than you want to stay. Sin is so deceptive that it kind of is like a, a, it's kind of like a, um, a, a, um, a, um, a trap. It's like a mouse going to a trap. He wants the cheese that's on that trap. And he thinks he's smart enough to get the cheese without getting caught. And so he goes up there and nibbles on that, but as soon as they, his, maybe his mouth will just hit that thing and it'll trigger and snap and it will take him. And Satan works at trapping people. Okay? And all of a sudden... You're trapped. Let me give you an illustration of that. On Facebook about, oh, a month and a half ago, a young lady befriended me, and she said, I know you. You preached in our church. And I was like, yes, okay. I said, what church was that? And she said, she told me the name of the church. I won't give the name of the church. And and uh, I said, yes, I'm going to be there soon, and I, I look forward to seeing you again. And um, I put Aunt Dan and Anne Marie. We look forward to seeing you again. And so um, she said, I won't be there. And I said, oh, what, what, what's, what's wrong? Well, I, uh, I quit going to church, and she said, I got into drugs and alcohol and and now I'm 18 years old. I'm stuck in a relationship with a guy. And uh, I'm a, the stepmom of two children. And um, I said, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Certainly that was not God's plan. Could I get an amen right there? Yeah, that was not God's plan. And I said, well, you need to get out of there. She goes, it's too late. Don't forget those words right there. It's too late. I'm going to tell you something. It's never too late. You know why a lot of people don't, they get away from God and they stay away from God? They think, well, I've done such terrible things and I, I don't know if I want to live the Christian life like everybody wants me to live it and not even thinking about God. If all you're thinking about is people trying to make you live for God, like your parents or your pastor or whatever, you've missed the whole point. There's somebody much greater than them, believe me. And it's God Almighty that loves you and has your best interest in mind. He's for you. And you're against yourself. And so I said to her, you've got to get out of that relationship. She said, the only reason I'm contacting you is because I'm at my friend's house 
And she goes, this fella that I'm with, when, I, when, he, when he drops me off at work, he takes my phone and he checks all my stuff on my phone so he'll find out if I don't erase this and get it off my phone. And I said, well, you, you must go to God. He loves you and he'll forgive you and you need to get right with God. Well, I didn't know, hear of anything and I, I talked to somebody that knew her and I said, oh, she's not with him anymore. And I said, oh, okay. So I called the pastor, talked to the pastor about it. And the pastor said, yeah, we've got her in a, a home for single women uh, that have, you know, that have had some problems and hopefully uh, she's going to see the error of her ways and get right with God and get back to where she should be. You know, that was such a blessing to hear that. But I want to tell you something. There's a perpetual pushing against her. And the pastor told me this guy that she left, he's trying to find her because he thinks that he can woo her back into his trap. You know what really saddens me is when people get trapped and then they never get out of it. Never. It's not because God's not able. It's because they love their sin more than they love God. And they'd rather dabble with sin than they'd rather live for God and serve God. Do you see the importance of why the home is so vital to the cause of Jesus Christ and that Satan is going to do everything he can to destroy the home? See, if he can destroy the homes of Calvary Chapel Baptist Church, he can destroy Calvary Baptist Church. 46 churches, they say, every week close their doors in America alone. Pastor, um, Monday, I went by a church in Missouri. The pastor of that church called the pastor I was with, and he said, I'd like to let you know that we're closing our church the only independent Baptist church in that town. And if you'd like to come by and get some things out of the church before we sell it, we would like you to come by and take whatever you want. So I went over there with this pastor to visit this pastor that's going to close this church down. How many think that's sad? Is that sad? The church had a history of... Um, I think it was 45 years. How many of you think it would be just as bad for a home to break up? Well, let me tell you how it starts. Write these four words down. The word begins with, the first word is love. This is what God desires, that a family have a loving relationship, that the church have a loving relationship, okay? The second word is loneliness. There are three stages that Satan destroys the home. He takes a home where there's love, and then he tries to make that family lonely. 
It can start with the wife. It can start with the husband. It can start with the children acting up. And it goes from loneliness. Now write this down. Luring. Some temptation comes to that person that's lonely and lures them in to do things they ought not to do that will hurt that home. Our home's been attacked. Your home's been attacked. There's not a Christian home in America that's not been attacked. In some way, something's happened that maybe caused the husband or wife to have... How many, how many husbands and wives have ever had a, had a little spat? I didn't say spit. I said a spat. Where maybe you didn't agree on something. Maybe there was a little argument. That's, that's Satan getting his foot in the door. And then he's, he wants to do more than that. So he, he pushes a little bit more. And he lures you into thinking, well, maybe I got married too early. And he'll put all these different thoughts in your mind about why I might be better if I got somebody else. So you go from loneliness to the luring, thinking about it. You know, the Bible says a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. I, I, my dad used to say, many people have stinking thinking. All of us have stinking thinking at times. <laughs> Where we think we think of, think of things we ought not to be thinking of. How many times have we had to cast down imagination and, and any high thing that exalteth itself against Christ? You know what I mean? Uh, we got to get rid of those putrid thoughts. We got to get rid of, you know... I, I don't think there's ever been a generation that's more inundated with the filth of this world and with all the things that can draw your attention and entertain you and take you away from God. God cannot compete and will not compete with the entertainment of this world. You either love Him or you don't. You either love the world or you don't love the world. The Bible says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, notice, the love of the Father is not in him. Do you want to live your life without the love of the Father? Just say no to sin, and you'll have his love. You can lose the power of God, or you can grasp the power of God in a split second. You can go from being backslidden to be absolutely right with God. How neat is that? So, we've got luring. Satan lures you in. Notice the last thing, leaving. Leaving. That's when the family splits. Often the children feel like they're the reason for it when 99.9.9 times they're not the reason at all. It's because two people would not willingly submit to each other. You know, the Bible doesn't say that the wife is the only one that has to submit. The Bible says that they, the husband and the wife, are to submit themselves one to another in the fear of God. Amen. Amen. <laughs> well, she doesn't love me. Well, the Bible doesn't say she's supposed to love you. Oh, really? Cool. No, the Bible says that the husband is to love his wife. And the Bible says that the wife is to submit to her husband. You know, women that know that they are genuinely loved have no trouble submitting. 
It's when they're treated horribly and then asked to submit. It's not right and it's not fair and it dishonors God when we don't do things right. That's another good time to say amen right there. <laughs> the perpetual pushing. So Satan's constantly trying. You can read the rest of that passage in Romans chapter 1, but if you go on through the rest of that passage down to verse 32, the Bible says, knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. There comes a time when you, get, you think you're so far from God I'm way over, God's over here, and I'm way over here, way away from God. He probably could care less about me. You are so wrong. Because when you remember Adam and Eve sinned and they sowed fig leaves together, here they're, they're hiding out. They think there's no way a perfect holy God would in any way be interested in a fallen race. The Lord is walking through the garden in the cool of the evening. He goes, Adam. He didn't say Eve. Now, you ladies can take great joy in this right here. When you and your hubby stand before the Lord one day, the wife's not going to have to give an account. The husband's responsible. Can I get an amen from the ladies? Amen. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? Now, if the wife violently or perpetually goes against the divine will of God through the mouth of the husband, she'll have to answer for it. But the husband's going to have to give an account. Your pastor's going to have to give an account for this church as long as he's pastor. You better pray for him. Amen. Adam, where art thou? Do you see how God cared about them even when they fell? Isn't that beautiful? See, God is perfect, but his love is so great. And his mercy is so great. And his patience is so great. And he is so long-suffering that he'll put up with a lot of baloney if he knows ultimately he can have your affection and your attention. Amen. And I want to say, Adam and Eve had to leave the garden. The thorns and thistles came out. The curse was on. By the sweat of thy brow, the Bible says, women are going to have trouble in childbearing. Life is going to be filled with difficulty. But God is there always to meet your every need if you have enough sense to call upon Him. What a God we serve. I am so excited to be a child of God. I'm so excited that I can talk about the rise or fall of the home. And I must say, do you realize that Satan has his arrows pointed at you? He can't take you to hell, but he can sure make you miserable. 
I've seen some pretty miserable Christians. I have. You know what miserable Christians do? They turn other people off. If that's a Christian, I don't need to be one. Yeah. Hey, you want to find out how a Christian is supposed to act? Ask a lost person. Yeah. Yeah. We had a guy come to our church and get saved, and man, he gave up drinking. Yeah. He said, preacher, come on over to my house. I want you to pour out the liquor with me. Man, we had uh, gallons and gallons. He had this big bar. Man, we're, we're just dumping all that booze. He said, I don't need that anymore. I've got the Lord. Why do Christians do that? I think it's something that, even if you thought it was all right to do it, Jesus drank wine. You know the different arguments people use. I want to I want to just challenge you with one thought about that. How about your testimony? How can you reach a world that's lost and drunk and living in sin? How can you reach them if you're almost like them? And if you try to get in with them, they'll kick you out if you take a stand for Jesus. I think it'd be better to take a stand for Jesus and live a testimony of godliness and holiness to the point where they say, wow, man, is their life together. Everything is going great. God has blessed them. God has forgiven them. God has cleansed them. I know what they were like, but they're new now. They're new creatures in Christ Jesus. And I'll tell you what, if I ever decide I want to get saved, I'm going down to the church where they go because they're for real. They don't have to get drunk to be happy. They're happy in the spirit. You know, I thought it's interesting. The Bible says, and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be what? Filled with what? The spirit, not the spirits. Why did God put those two, two thoughts together in one verse? He did it twice in the Bible. I think it's important. Christians ought to take a stand for righteousness and holiness. They ought to live clean and pure lives. The family that God can bless is the family that is living according to the Word of God, not according to what somebody else wants. You know, it's interesting. We are, we are pressured on every hand. The average home used to be led by the husband. Then the wife took over. That went good for a while, but then the kids took over. The average home today, when the mother says it's time to eat, they all go and jump in the car. Do families even eat together anymore? What's happening to our homes? There's a, an attack against the Christian home. But I close with this thought. There is a victory that comes through the power of Almighty God, and we must experience it. We must experience it. It's called, it's called the peaceable protection of God. And it's called not a Christian home, 
It's called a spiritual home. There's a difference. You can be a Christian home and not be a spiritual home. Correct? To be a spiritual home, the Lord has to be paramount. He has to be seen and felt and heard. Dad, the best thing you can do is exalt the Lord Jesus Christ in your home. That's the best thing you can do. Tomorrow night, we're going to be coming back again. And I want you to pray for me that God will help me to give you the message that will best help you. But this is where it all began. Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3. The Christian family, the family rose, but then it fell. But God was there to pick up the pieces. Amen? Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad we have a God that doesn't throw us away? People throw people away. God doesn't. I want to tell you something. I want everybody to look at me right now. There's nobody that loves you more than Jesus loves you. Your father, your mother, your pastor, your friends, nobody can love you more than Jesus can. He's your protection. The closer you get to him, the greater your protection. The closer you get to Christ, the greater his power. If you ever experience the mighty power of God for yourself, you'll never turn back to the lure of the devil. You won't do it. I have no interest in that because I have discovered how wonderful and how great my God is. And I wouldn't trade him for anything in this world. Let's bow together in prayer, may we?